Hey there, it's Sarah Holder, host of Big Take. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss, The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, and executives like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The Deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment, and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube. It's The Big Take from Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, why the FDA is going slow on approving a possible breakthrough treatment for ALS. Something that you'll hear frequently in the ALS community is ALS is 100% fatal. There is no cure. There is no effective treatment. So we literally will try anything. We have a very high tolerance for risk. Some of us say, we don't care if it's known to be a poison. If there is a chance it could help us, we are willing to take it. So the thought of trying a medication through expanded access was simply a no-brainer for us. That's Cassandra. She asked us not to use her full name, and she is far too familiar with the devastating effects of ALS, often called Lou Gehrig's disease. Many members of Cassandra's family have died from ALS because of a rare gene that's passed down through generations. We'll hear Cassandra's story later in the program. For her family and thousands of others, a new treatment still in development from the company Biogen shows some early promise of possibly slowing the rapid progress of the disease. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is moving cautiously. It's wary of approving the drug before more is known about how effective it is and possible side effects. But ALS activists and people afflicted are pressing the FDA for rapid approval of the drug. Or like you heard Cassandra say just now, early expanded access to the treatment before approval for those who may have no other hope. Bloomberg's chief medical writer, Robert Langreth, joins me now to explain what's happening. Robert Langreth, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to be here. Bob, can you talk a bit about ALS, the disease itself? Uh, What actually does it do? ALS is one of the most devastating diseases. Basically, The neurons that control all the voluntary muscles slowly die, and that includes those responsible for breathing, chewing, swallowing. Most people die within three to five years is a typical, and if you choose to go on a respirator and a feeding tube, you can get a new condition that's called locked in, where you're essentially fully paralyzed, unable to communicate with the rest of the outside world, yet your mind and sensors are fully intact. About how many people in the U.S. around the world are afflicted by ALS? Yeah, so in the U.S., uh, figures vary, about 20 to 30,000 afflicted with ALS. Approximately 10% of them cases are run in families. And then, you know, 90% of the cases, roughly, uh, the, the causes are, are unknown. So it's you know, not a common disease, but it is just totally devastating. So that's a lot of people 
in numbers, and yet not a lot of people, when it comes to a drug company spending a lot of money that it takes to develop a drug, and that's been one of the problems associated with trying to find treatments or cures for the disease. There's been very little known about the cause. It's just been a graveyard for drug makers uh, with numerous failed trials. And one of the problems of the disease, it's not actually straightforward to diagnose. There's no like simple blood test for ALS. So it's a kind of a diagnosis of exclusion. So they basically rule everything else out until they can say, you know, the only cause we have, we know for the reasons you're progressively getting paralyzed is ALS. We've ruled out everything else. So that means people like often don't get diagnosed until late. That's, you know, another issue for, for drug makers because you want to try to treat as early as possible. If you've been online in the last few weeks, there's a good chance you've seen someone taking the ALS ice bucket challenge. People dumping ice cold water on their heads and nominating others to do the same. I think we all remember about nine years ago now, the ice bucket challenge where people were pouring cold buckets of ice over their heads as a way to raise awareness and money for ALS. That certainly raised awareness. We were all talking about it. But in the almost decades since that happened, did it do anything to jumpstart both funding and research for cures? Yeah. So one of the historical issues with ALS is that because people die so quickly, it doesn't have that kind of constituency of survivors that some diseases have that can really kind of lobby and push and attention and money for treatment and research into new treatments. So the Ice Bucket Challenge kind of did like bring a lot of attention and a lot of new funding to it. And that did appear to result in, you know, more drugs and trials now than, than ever before. And in your latest story about ALS, you write about a new therapy from Biogen, which they're trying to get accelerated approval from the FDA. And there's been a bit of back and forth. Can you tell us about that? So in the story, we write about a drug called Tofersen from Biogen, which would be the first drug to attack a known genetic cause of ALS, one of these a handful of rare genes that causes rare familial forms of ALS. It's a complicated controversy, but Biogen conducted a small phase three trial of the drug. It did not succeed in the main goal of its trial and slowing the disease, though it did show promising signs. But what it does do is that it does very clearly lower levels of this blood protein called neurofilament, which is a protein that's released when nerve cells are dying. It's a sign of nerve cell damage. So that sign is clearly decreased. So it's applied for accelerated approval for Tobison, basically approval of a drug, you know, based on a kind of a biomarker alone without proof that it slows the clinical decline. You, you mentioned that it was based on a biomarker. What is that? Yeah, so biomarkers, that's kind of basically a fancy word for blood tests or scans or some other kind of lab or testing value that might kind of show what's kind of going on in the underlying process of disease. So, so it shows promise, but it hasn't been shown effective. Yeah, it hasn't been proven yet to show clinical effectiveness. Now, this experimental drug that Biogen is working on and seeking approval for is for a subset of ALS that runs in families. So this is not for overall ALS, but especially devastating form of the disease where entire families can be affected. Yeah, this is for people with ALS due to a bad gene called SOD1 or SOD1. And people with this bad gene that run in their family, if you have just one copy of this gene, you're almost certain to get ALS uh, in your lifetime. 
it's so devastating when you, the people they get it, they can, they can die within 12 to 18 months, often an ultra rapid progressing form of ALS. And then it can run through families for like generations, like back literally hundreds of years. In your story, you write about a family from Pennsylvania, the Weber family, and they've been afflicted with this form of ALS for generations. You spoke with Cynthia Weber and her daughter, Cassandra. What did they tell you about the family's history with ALS? Yeah, so in Cynthia Weber's closet for many years, there was a family tree and it was sprawled over two large pages of architecture paper, literally detailed 350 ancestors going back well into the 1800s. And it gave dates of deaths and names, dates of births and deaths and causes. And the reason it was buried away in the closet wasn't that people didn't know it was there, you know, it was because nobody really in the family wanted to look at it because so many people in the family over the years and decades and centuries had died from ALS. And in fact, more than 30 people on that family tree, on that blueprint, their deaths are marked with the letters ALS. And so in Cynthia Weber's and Cassandra's family, the way they think about it, you know, some people pass on genes or red hair or green eyes, but they pass on a legacy of death from ALS. For many years, people in the family were told that before you got married, you had to tell your spouse about the bad genes, about the ALS risk that ran in the family, so your potential spouse could have a chance to back out and they would know kind of what they were getting into. For a few years, though, Cynthia Weber's generation, her generation themselves, uh, were beginning to think that the bad gene, the ALS gene, had sort of skipped their generation because none of Cynthia Weber's siblings had gotten ALS. But then, in 2019, Cynthia Weber's brother, Dwayne, started developing symptoms of ALS, and he quickly uh, got worse. Bob, in your story, you write how the Weber family sought recent therapies and really had a difficult time and mixed results. Can you describe their experience with trying to get these drugs that potentially could have prolonged life? So because the SOD1 or SOD1 gene runs in the Weber family, that is the ALS-causing gene in their family, they are ideal candidates for this experimental drug from Biogen called Tofersen that targets that specific gene that runs in their family. So Cynthia Weber's brother, Dwayne Lindsay, he was the first in the recent generation of the family to be diagnosed with ALS. And he, in fact, managed to get into Biogen's main phase three trial of its drug, Toversen. That's the drug that targets a specific gene that runs in the uh, Cynthia Weber family. The family does not know whether he got placebo or the active drug. They believed that when he was on the injections, that his, his ALS appeared to progress much more slowly. And then the minute some of the injections were stopped, he declined rapidly. And the reason they suspect this was because he was in the trial during the beginning of the pandemic. And so he missed three treatments because the trial site shut down during the pandemic temporarily. And during that period when the trial sites shut down, his condition just declined markedly. And the family suspects that he was on the active drug during that period. When we come back, what it's like when ALS runs in the family. Hey there, it's Sarah Holder, host of Big Take. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss, The Deal co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. 
Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, and executives like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment, and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube. Cynthia Weber's daughter, Cassandra, who we heard at the beginning of the episode, has seen the devastating effects of ALS in her own family. Robert Langrith talked about how Cynthia Weber's brother, Cassandra's uncle, was diagnosed. Robert spoke to Cassandra, and she described the experience and what has happened since. My mom called us and said, girls, I have bad news. You know, Uncle Dwayne has ALS. And that was, I believe, in 2019. It was pre-COVID. At first, the results looked promising. Cassandra's uncle, Dwayne, appeared to be responding to the treatment. And then COVID came, and unfortunately, his experimental trial site decided to stop giving him the Tofersen injections. So he missed three injections and started to rapidly decline. He was able to resume, and he got two more, but he had begun progressing quite quickly. After my uncle was diagnosed, he asked his siblings to please get tested. My mom went to her family doctor in January of 2020 and requested to have the testing done. In June, she called the family doctor's office and asked where her results were. It's easy to get distracted. We were busy. She was here with the grandkids all the time. So finally, they got back in contact with the genetic testing company. And my mom called me a few days later and said, honey, I have to go into the office. And I said, mom, if you have to go into the office, I have to go with you. And she never wanted to bother anybody. So she said, no, don't take time off from work. But I knew in my heart what the results were. Cynthia became the 33rd person in her family to test positive for the ALS gene. But she wasn't showing signs of the disease. A month later, in July 2020, Cynthia's brother, Dwayne, died of ALS. Not long after that, Cassandra noticed small changes in her mom. Her first symptom was that she couldn't lift her leg up off the floor to get into bed. And she thought it was just a grief reaction, that she was upset about her brother and things were kind of in her head. And so she chose to ignore them. And I can't say that I blame her. Within a few months, it became apparent that she wasn't walking very well. And because I knew her genetic test results, I was watching her pretty closely. She was also 69 years old, getting older, and I knew that her risk was going up. Our gene has what's called a high penetrance rate, meaning by the time you're 70 years old, you have a 90% chance of getting ALS. Sometime around September, I started to notice that mom couldn't keep up with us. We'd walk to the park down the street with the kids. We've done that walk hundreds of times, and she was lagging behind a little bit. And then October came with the kid's birthday, and she was doing pretty good. And then she always went trick-or-treating with us, and she couldn't keep up even to go around the block. So finally, in a quiet moment, I confronted her, and I said, Mom, I'm really worried about your leg. So within a few weeks, she called me, and she said, Honey, I need to see someone. I was at work, and I walked out to the parking lot, and I screamed because I knew it was coming. 
the first thing I did is I called the group I had been working with for genetic counseling, and I said, what can we do? And this was December. She had not been officially diagnosed by anybody, but we knew. Cassandra tried to get Cynthia enrolled in the trial for the same drug Cynthia's brother had tried with some success. But the trial was full. She pressed for her mother to be placed in Biogen's expanded access program, another way to get the treatment. After some advocacy from her doctor, Cynthia's application was approved. So getting expanded access was based on your score, which includes things like, can you go up and down the stairs? Can you cut your own food? Can you adjust your own sheets? So at that point, my mom was still doing really well. She was actually still walking. With a lot of difficulty and not far, but with a walker, she could transfer and do most of her own care. But she was starting to progress. At this point, Cassandra made another decision. So after my mom received her genetic testing results, I realized that I needed to be tested as well because I had a 50-50 shot of carrying the gene. And I needed to know so that I could try and be proactive and find anything I could do to try and prevent ALS, even though there isn't anything really, and so that I could know to plan for my family's future and to figure out if my children would need to consider genetic testing at some point. Because of COVID, everything was over Zoom, so they ship a kit to your home and you do your own cheek swab and send that out to the lab. And then it takes about six weeks for your test results to come back. So the results disclosure was on a Zoom call with the geneticist, followed by a meeting with a neurologist. They told me ahead of time that there wouldn't be any chit chat and that she would come right out with my results. My husband and I had told ourselves we would be prepared for it to be positive. And that if it was negative, we would just be happy. But you can't prepare. I knew as soon as I saw her face that my results were positive. And when she said it out loud, I collapsed. We were sitting at the dining room table and I felt like someone had punched me right in the heart. I couldn't hear, I couldn't see. I just collapsed in thinking, what about my children? So I knew there was a 50-50 chance of having a genetic result come back positive. And even though we had told ourselves to be prepared, we weren't. There really is no way to prepare for hearing this news. I knew all the numbers. I knew we had a high penetrance rate, that I had a 90% chance of getting ALS by the age of 70. I knew my grandfather died at 62 and his brother at 30. And the only thing I could think about was that I could have given this gene to my children. Each of my children have a 50-50 shot of carrying this gene. And we can't test them until they turn 18 and they need to make that choice. But as a parent, as a mom, to think that you may have passed something like this onto your children is heartbreaking. It's devastating. And I also didn't want them to watch me die of ALS. Like I watched my uncle, my grandfather, how many generations of our family have to watch each other die. By May of this year, Cynthia's ALS had progressed significantly. She believed Toverson, the drug, had extended her life. But she had lost most mobility in her limbs and decided to stop treatment. She moved into the home of Cassandra's older sister. Three months later, in August this year, Cynthia passed away. Everyone who knows my mom would tell you that she was the kindest person, always a true friend. She was a registered nurse, worked at Harrisburg State Hospital doing inpatient mental health for over 25 years, loving, giving, 
I found a letter one of the doctors wrote about her, and it was just beautiful. He called her a true nursing professional. He acknowledged her thought process, her compassion, and that's what everybody would tell you. As a nurse practitioner, I understand the pathophysiology of ALS, why the things are happening that are happening, but nothing can prepare you for living through ALS with yourself or a loved one. To see the day-by-day -day changes, one night she could use her hand, the next day she couldn't. To lose the use of your thumb means you can't feed yourself. To see someone deteriorate every single day, there's no way to prepare for that. It absolutely changed the way I view ALS because now I've lived through it. I've seen it firsthand. I've watched her die from it. Nothing can prepare you for that. Since her mother's passing and her own positive test for the ALS gene, Cassandra has become an activist for more research and greater access to treatments. I think as soon as someone in your family or someone you love gets an ALS diagnosis and you see the fight that we're up against, you see the limited options, the lack of hope, it kind of turns everyone into a warrior. I haven't met an ALS patient or family yet who hasn't gotten into advocacy. It's kind of like the all-time underdog, and we all just want to fight, fight for our loved ones, fight for ourselves. I don't think there's a decision to become an advocate. I think it automatically happens. When we come back, Robert Langrith talks about the future of treatments for ALS and other uncommon diseases. Hey there, it's Sarah Holder, host of Big Take. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss. The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, and executives like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The Deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment, and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube. Bob, the Webbers and other families who are suffering from ALS have rallied the FDA for more rapid approval of these experimental drugs. And there's been a lot of tension and back and forth over that. Can you describe what's happening in the FDA when it comes to deciding whether or not to release a drug earlier than it normally would? Yeah. So what's happening is that ALS activists, they want to see lots of new drugs for ALS, just like there, you know, recent years have been just lots of new drugs for various types of cancer. The debate is over, like, how much should the standards, you know, be lessened? You don't want to put something that doesn't work on the market. It could actually inhibit the development of actually effective therapies. Why does the FDA draw this distinction between cancer treatments, which can be approved on an accelerated basis, and diseases like ALS where it can't? What's the difference there from the FDA's perspective? Not that drugs and other diseases can't use the accelerated process. It's just that the accelerated process is much more controversial in some of these other diseases that much less is known about. Biogen had a drug for Alzheimer's, which they pressed very hard for early approval, and it was approved, and that caused quite a big controversy, didn't it? Uh, yeah, so the Biogen had a drug for Alzheimer's that they did not 
clearly show I was effective in slowing the disease in two large trials. Uh, one showed it slowed the disease slightly and the other showed no effect, but it was able to get the drug approved using the accelerated process because it lowered levels of a bad brain protein called brain amyloid. And that was just extraordinarily controversial because of the contradictory results on whether it actually slowed the disease. And even if one of these drugs is approved on an accelerated basis, sometimes insurers don't want to pay for it and some doctors are hesitant to prescribe them. Yeah, that's something that can happen. You know, the situation for neurological diseases is so new that it's not clear, you know, how it's going to play out. Certainly with the case of Biogen's Alzheimer's drug Adrahelm, essentially Medicare, the program for the elderly, declined to cover it on a broad basis, uh, citing the lack of proof that it slowed clinical decline. What did Biogen say about the response to its Alzheimer's drug? Basically, they vigorously campaigned to get Medicare to cover their Alzheimer's drug, Agihelm, but it ultimately refused, and they were very disappointed by that decision. So what now is the status of Tobersin, the ALS drug that Biogen is developing? So it has been submitted to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. We are awaiting a decision by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and the company has also submitted the drug to regulators in Europe. So there should be a lot of action on it early in 2023. Bob, in the best case scenario, what can we expect from Toperson? The Weber family had mixed results. It was unclear whether Cynthia Weber and her brother received a placebo or the actual drug. What do we know about its effectiveness and what people suffering from this form of ALS can expect from this drug? So Biogen's drug, Toperson, in its main trial after six months, did not clearly show a difference in slowing functional decline between drug and placebo after six months. However, Biogen reported continued studying the drug after the official main part of the trial was over. And in June, it reported that people who had received the drug early on had less decline than those who had originally been on placebo and got switched to the drug, drug later. And the drug also lowers level of a blood protein called neurofilament that is released uh, when nerve cells are damaged or dying. And it's this lowering of levels of neurofilament, the drug's ability to do that, Biogen is seeking approval, accelerated approval upon. And do you think that that will happen? With Toverson, Biogen's already completed the longer-term trial that showed that it failed in its main goal and then showed, you know, more promising results on the extension of the trial, but it's seeking approval, accelerated approval, based on the ability to slow biomarkers. So it's really hard to predict exactly what's going to happen. Robert Langrith, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. You can read Robert Langrith's reporting on ALS at Bloomberg.com. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take, the daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Read today's story and subscribe to our daily newsletter at Bloomberg.com slash Big Take. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to Big Take at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is... Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is... Catherine Fink. Our producers are... Mo Barrow. And... Michael Falero. Rafael Amsili. Is our engineer... Original music by Leo Sidrin. We'll be taking a break next week, 
back with fresh episodes starting Tuesday, January 3rd. In the meantime, please check out some of the shows you might have missed. Thanks again for listening. I hope you have a great new year. Hey there, it's Sarah Holder, host of Big Take. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss, The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, and executives like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The Deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment, and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube.